The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at itztiger.music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the Block Hash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out Blockhash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new, where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting, all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash Blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. Hello, people. It is Wednesday, February 10th, episode 107. And this week on the podcast, I have Aya Kantorovich. She is the head of institutional coverage for Falcon X. FalconX is an all-in-one service for institutions to borrow, lend, trade, store, custody, and clear cryptocurrency, doing about $3 billion in trade volume every single month on average. Awesome conversation with Aya, and they're a great uh, company out there that you guys need to know more about, so I was really happy to have them on the podcast. And remember, guys, every Wednesday and every Friday from now on, there will be an episode. Don't forget that. Also, be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain, Aya, Falcon X, and whatnot. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. So before we dive into, I'm sure tons of stuff that you know we want to get into and talk about um, with Falcon X and whatever that ends up leading to. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, what, what's your story uh, to give my audience a little bit of an idea of who you are. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, career-wise, I started my career off in banking and capital markets as a consultant uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, before making a jump to the first startup I worked for called Tegas, uh, which focused on buy-side equity research uh, and outsourcing that for, for hedge funds. Uh, so I was able to scale that team, both in SF and Chicago, and always had this itch uh, with crypto. I'd been watching the space uh, since 2017 and had an opportunity come up to join Pantera Capital, uh, which is the oldest and largest cryptocurrency hedge fund in the US. Uh, mm -hmm. I worked on the venture side of the business with Dan Moorhead, as well as Paul Veratitakit, uh, and the then president, Bill Healy. Um, and we had made an investment into Tagomi, and that's how I got acquainted with Falcon X through due diligence. Love the team, love the product, had an itch to go from these kind of large feedback cycles that you get at venture funds to more of building uh, on the startup side. And so made the jump now two years ago uh, and have built out our institutional coverage desk at Falcon X um, as well. So it's been, uh, I would say, explosive growth um, and it's a lot of fun. Definitely exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like explosive growth for you personally. <laughs> Just yeah. constantly jump to the next thing. Are you so OK, your background, is it mostly in finance? Yeah, primarily. Mm -hmm. OK, very cool. Very cool. Okay, let's talk about Falcon X a little bit. 
I don't know too much about it. Like I did a little bit of research, looked at the website, you know, looked at whatever was out there. And um, some of it still kind of went over my head other than the whole like exchange part. Um, so tell me a little bit about what Falcon X is um, and like what the whole mission is. What's the goal? Yeah, absolutely. So Falcon X, what we built is an all-in-one uh, service, full service for institutions to trade, borrow, lend, store, custody, and clear cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And so as an institution, if you think about uh, you know, years ago, the way you would access uh, the ability to purchase crypto would be, as you mentioned, through exchanges. And so these centralized bodies and the pricing and just the uptime on those exchanges depended fully on the order book and the amount of liquidity that they had on both sides, on the buy and sell side of the trade. Uh, and so as the industry has expanded, uh, our value add proposition to the space has been as a principal dealer, we sit on top of 15 or so different liquidity providers. And that ranges from unstructured liquidity like OTC desks and dark pools and prop shops and miner flow, as well as lit liquidity pools, which are your traditional exchanges. Mm -hmm. And we are able to aggregate that. So at any given point in time, we'll give you the best buy and the best sell price on the assets that we uh, service. And so that's that was really our product to market and since then have really expanded up the vertical of, of being that full suite uh, service provider. Your clients, your institutional clients, are they like banks, um, hedge funds or um, exchanges or what are your primary client base? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's actually changed a lot over the last year. And I think that's a great reflection of the space as well. And mm -hmm. so a year ago, I would say it was primarily these crypto native funds. And so think of like venture funds uh, that would come into the space and then have to trade in and out of positions. You had systematic hedge funds. Uh, you had these crypto native uh, algo traders. Um, and slowly what we were seeing was that those volumes started to diversify away from crypto native as more and more traditional folks started coming in. And so you were seeing family offices, uh, let's say that wanted to allocate some of their capital into you know, token holdings. Uh, you were seeing even uh, some traditional finance hedge funds who started opening up a crypto arm uh, that was trading cryptocurrency. And then more recently, which has been super exciting for us, it's been these small and medium-sized businesses. So um, one unique case that we saw, and I, you know, I'm super excited about this because it does really lead to the narrative of diversification of flow and maturation of the space, is family offices. Um, and uh, primarily, this one unique case was a small, medium-sized business, uh, which was a senior care home. Um, and so super unique, not you know necessarily a client persona that I was think of as an institution. Um, mm -hmm. So that's on one side. And then now our second largest persona has become these retail aggregators. Uh, so wallets, lenders, the PayPal, SoFi's, cash apps of the world who are really looking to source liquidity that has almost 100% uptime um, and is able to provide them really good pricing and just great technology integration. Um, so I would say that at large kind of covers the full scope of, of the clients we service today. I imagine you've had like a huge influx of interest too, especially over the last few months. Yeah. So um, 
pretty awesome news for us, but we we now uh, have over $3 billion in trading volume a month. Uh, and the crazy thing about that is we don't have a sales team. Um, so we have no external sales. It's all been organic. Uh, and I think more power to the team. Um, and it speaks to just our ability to prioritize customer service where, uh, you know, a lot of these clients will tell their clients about us. Um, and through the grapevine, we've managed to expand uh, as much as we have today. You say 3 billion in trade volume monthly? Mm-hmm. So we'll be somewhere between 20 to 25% of Coinbase's monthly volume. That's pretty good considering that you're not necessarily like a public exchange, you know, and you're bringing on institutional clients, you know, do it privately and over the counter. So it makes more sense. Yeah, it's um, been, it, like I said, it's been a ride. <laughs> oh, I bet. You mentioned SMEs too. Like when you say SMEs, are you talking like brick and mortar stores and mom and pop shops and game stops and things like that? Or <laughs> <laughs> So maybe not GameStop, uh, but <laughs> I definitely think, um, I think we haven't reached, uh, you know, at least for us necessarily the mom and pops just yet, but we have seen the brick and mortar. Uh, and so that to me is um, both inspiring on one side that, you know, it's a leap of faith uh, that these institutions in my mind are taking um, into crypto. And uh, as someone who's been in this industry now for three years, um, pretty, pretty, great to see uh, the table kind of turn. Um, but on the other side, it also, you know, I think with bringing on uh, this new asset class, these new institutions and asset allocators comes, uh, you know, having the responsibility of education um, and making sure that everyone knows the risks um, and the volatility that comes mm-hmm. with uh, a young <laughs> market like this. Um, and obviously the prioritization of security. Right. Yeah. Incredibly volatile market. Jeez. (laughs) Um, But what are they um, like looking to trade? Or is it mostly just them putting money into like Bitcoin or in Ethereum or are they speculating a bit more? Yeah, good question. So we've seen uh, primarily Bitcoin and Ethereum. I would say it it ranges top five, top 10 coins. Um, And uh, uh, so I would say take the top 10 in market cap on on Coinbase. What companies have you raised funds from? Because I know that you guys have got quite a bit of backing as well, right? Yeah, so um, we've been really fortunate to have partnered with a wide scope of investors. And I think, you know, a a large part of our success is due to, you know, the advice and and guidance we've gotten from them. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, almost in the same way that our client persona has changed over time um, from crypto native to more traditional. So has our cap table in the additional asset allocators that we've included. And that went from, I would say, more crypto native. Um, our uh, you know, largest investor is Axel, um, and they have been um, really at the forefront of helping guide us through the ecosystem, um, which I would say is more of a traditional even investor, uh, coupled with a lot of crypto finance folks. Um, and then we've expanded to, you know, the more recent investment announcement that was made with American Express. Um, you know, we also have folks like Fidelity, Lightspeed. Uh, and so I think all in all, it's, um, you know, has been really great to lean on some of these investors for guidance uh, as we look to, mm-hmm. you know, expand our product suite uh, into um, additional financial tools. When you say you're going to expand your product suite, like what tools are you talking about specifically? 
Yeah, so great question. When we came to market, we initially had, uh, I would say, these three different ways that someone could trade with us. So that included, uh, let's say, over the chat. Um, so what we call OTC. So you have uh, primarily either a Telegram chat or a Skype chat and where in on Wall Street, you would just call your broker and you would execute a trade. Uh, here, it was more along the lines of you ping a trader in the chat and you ask for a specific price. And the engagement that you get in the chat is very white glove. Um, primarily, sometimes you're looking for like a, a TWAP or you're looking um, for, you know, a more specific structured product um, and you're looking for maybe an illiquid token, depending on your jurisdiction to trade, or you're looking for a really large size. If someone comes with a 10 million lot size uh, and wants help breaking that up and getting the best price for that. So typically you would go through chat and I would say that's kind of like the bare bones um, of what you can provide on the trading side. We moved into then the GUI. So this is self-execution platform. It's very similar to, let's say, if you were on Robinhood and you, mm -hmm. you go on your phone um, and you trade, you don't have to interact with a, a human or a brokerage um, and you see the prices, you can see your balances and you can settle. And so we started with those two and then we expanded into our APIs. Uh, and so you have this connectivity. These are for systematic traders. Um, you can set different order types on it um, and trade, run prices, stream prices all day. Uh, and from that, we expanded from our trading suite into you know, what we're hoping to expand more uh, order types. And so let's say um, across these different platforms, whether it's Limit or TWAP or VWAP, um, and then on top of that, we built a credit facility. And so, um, you know, our margin product uh, is now as sticky as our trading product and couples really well as a delayed settlement product um, for our clients to use uh, it after their trading. Um, and so you have those two things. Uh, on the custody side, we've partnered um, with some custodians that we're super excited about um, and, you know, have a very similar mission as Falcon X. And so the integration works well. And then looking to expand beyond that, um, which is primarily clearing and settling. Uh, personally, I think the, the largest pain point of the industry is the ability to cross margin and trade across multiple platforms um, and the ability for trade operations to happen in a very fast way so people can turn over their book um, quickly and seamlessly. Have you guys had like any clearing issues, um, you know, with I imagine clients using large transaction volumes and, and stuff like that, moving money around? Do you guys ever really run into clearing issues like that? Or do you have like a good bank or like, what's your strategy in that regard? Yeah, good question. So we use, um, there's a lot of networks out there that I think have really helped simplify the problem. It's not mm -hmm. a um, solution that fits everyone. Uh, and there's definitely unique instances in which it doesn't. But, you know, one, I would say a few of them are, you have the Signet network, the Silvergate Send Network, and you also have folks like Fireblocks. And in these instances, what these companies have done is, is say, hey, we have access to your bank account. We can see that there are assets in this account, and we see that there are assets on this other account. And so we'll transfer the money within all of the accounts that are on that network. Um, now, what happens in the use cases you mentioned is, let's say someone's outside of that network. Um, mm -hmm. In that case, 
you know, you're fully depending on, let's say, the Bitcoin blockchain um, to execute the transactions. And it's fine, I would say, like on a Sunday at 2 p.m. when perhaps not as many people are trading. But, you know, for example, this morning um, when Elon Musk changes his Twitter handle uh, and includes <laughs> Bitcoin, <laughs> suddenly, you know, everyone's trying to buy Bitcoin and the blockchain becomes very crowded and it takes a lot of time. Um, and in those instances, I would say, you know, this goes back to the point of education. You have to teach someone, you know, how much gas should I pay um, to speed this transaction up? And, um, you know, sometimes that gas price is just exorbitant. Um, and so I think in those instances for like a, let's say $1 billion asset manage, manager to come into the space and, and want to allocate, you know, large portions of capital, um, you know, that becomes a little bit of a roadblock uh, and also introduces, you know, having folks like Falcon X and, and others out there um, who can help kind of mitigate that a little bit. Yeah. Like if transaction volume picks up for like Bitcoin or Ethereum, do you have like your clients coming to you and be like, ah, oh, yeah, it's too expensive. It's slowing down. <laughs> I can't clear a transaction. Like, do you guys run into those problems too? Or do you guys have a, like a workaround for that as well? No, we do. We do. And anyone who tells you that that's been solved is not being truthful. Um, it's a huge issue. Uh, and I think, you know, what's, what's interesting is that even in traditional finance, when you think about what's some of the largest costs of these funds, it's back office, it's trade operations and it's settlement. And it hasn't been solved on the traditional finance side yet either. Um, you know, if you think about it, clearing in the traditional world takes two business days. Uh, and so we're trying to make that really fast on the crypto side, but even then, um, you know, it doesn't happen in minutes all the time. Sometimes mm -hmm. it'll take upwards of 30 minutes. And if you're an algo trader, you're a systematic trader, uh, and you're trying to, you know, run an exchange arbitrage strategy, um, mm -hmm. that can really impact your flow. Uh, and so, uh, we're definitely seeing some issues come up with it. And and it's it's interesting because the infrastructure is being stress tested right now, as you mentioned, trading volumes increase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think Coinbase was down today on trade volumes being up as well for Bitcoin and a number of others and Dogecoin. <laughs> I don't think they have Dogecoin, <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, there's been a huge influx last day or so. Yeah, I think Coinbase was down. I think, was it Bitrix or... Another one was down too, but yeah, they're definitely being stress tested like to the max mm -hmm. at, at this point. So that, I think that'll be very eye opening for people though, too, like being able to see that, you know, these are pr pr probably good investments, but you know, that there are some issues slowing them down, you know, mm -hmm. is Ethereum the best platform? Do you want to build an institutional grade product on it versus something else that's faster mm -hmm. that, or that offers a bit more like Polkadot or Cardano potentially, or is Bitcoin the best asset to hold? Should you hold Litecoin or mm -hmm. something else that might, you know, clear, transact faster? So mm -hmm. yeah, definitely with you on that, it's definitely a problem, but <laughs> I'm sure you deal with it enough. Yeah. Yeah. Then you bring up, you just brought up like a million great points. And I think like the one I want to hone in on too, is when you think about um, I, I think we we kind of expect so much from crypto uh, and we we fail to understand that these are very similar problems we're currently seeing in in traditional finance. So if you think about even, you know, whether or not it's accurate, but, you know, what the liquidity issues that Robinhood has sometimes um, and then 
them going down for those liquidity issues. Uh, similarly, any centralized exchange, because of just the nature of having to have market makers and supply on both sides, if that supply doesn't exist, you just can't trade it. And I think we're in, in a world right now where we kind of don't understand that sometimes the supply just isn't there. There's a supply crunch. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it could be really interesting for decentralized finance and DEXs um, where they do aggregate from all these multiple sources uh, and where, you know, if, if there isn't that liquidity, it's much more transparent um, and will be interesting, I think, for us uh, and anyone in this space to see, you know, as you mentioned, a few of some other blockchains too, what mm -hmm. the movement will be perhaps outside of Bitcoin, Ethereum and centralized exchanges. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's very interesting times, isn't it? <laughs> it's very fun to watch this stuff. <laughs> yep. what, what, would, what would you say? What would you say? Like top five, your clients like to invest in the most, or that they speculate or trade on the most? Obviously, probably Bitcoin and Ethereum are in there. Yeah. So um, I would say on the retail side, it's going to be Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash. Um, and then before XRP was delisted, Ripple. Um, mm -hmm. And then on the, uh, I would say, more institutional side, um, it will primarily be Bitcoin and Ethereum. We're seeing a lot of stable coins. Uh, and so that's really interesting on the Asia side, primarily Tether, on the US side, primarily uh, Circles USDC. Um, and then uh, dependent on specific jurisdictions, uh, we're also seeing some interesting names uh, in decentralized finance. So, um, you know, a DEX, for example, is Uniswap. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's other projects um, that we've seen gain a lot of traction, for example, uh, the DeFi blue chips. Um, so kind of the leaders of these different decentralized platforms, whether it's Wi-Fi, whether it's SNX, Synthetics, whether it's Aave for lending and Compound um, or Balancer. Uh, so I think, um, you know, those have definitely, you know, despite some of the ups and downs of the volatility uh, spectrum, we, we've seen, you know, them still peak uh, a lot of interest. Um, most of them are at all-time highs. Uh, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, we had Grayscale just announce uh, that they'll potentially uh, come out with a trust uh, for some of these decentralized mm -hmm. platforms. Um, so I think it was Aave, and I think Polkadot was also another one of them. And Polkadot has hit all-time highs as well. So mm -hmm. um, it'll be really cool to see. I think, you know, even just taking a step back, there's it takes a lot of time to build these products and the the underlying infrastructure and we're getting to a point where some of these products are coming to market. Uh, and so to your point about Polkadot, uh, the .ecosystem going live is going to be really cool and influential to the space just because of all the projects that are currently building on top of it. So um, there's still so much more to come. We haven't even scraped the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Do you have any concerns with allowing them to trade a uh, stable coin like Tether, you know, that has a lot of questions that isn't necessarily backed by a whole lot or if anything that we know of um, versus something like USDC or um, or what Circle's got, because there's a bunch of stable coins out there at this point. Um, mm -hmm. but do you have any concerns allowing them to trade like Tether versus something that has a little bit more uh, validity? Yeah, absolutely. So 
Um, you know, I think there was a lot of speculation on uh, how much one-to-one, as you mentioned, uh, the Tether stablecoin was backed by. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there was a lot of, a lot of it was definitely speculation, um, at least from our side, as we heard. Uh, you know, there's definitely counterparty risk, uh, whether it's Tether and whether it's Circle. Um, I think, you know, that's something to keep in mind. There's nothing that has zero counterparty risk. Even the U.S. dollar, if you were to boil it down, has some level of inflationary <laughs> and counterparty risk with the Fed. And so, um, you know, the the counterparty risk definitely exists. I think, um, to your point, when the questions around Tether came up, uh, we were seeing a bit of some, um, you know, selling action. Uh, and there was definitely a little bit of hesitation from Asian markets who, again, use Tether very actively as um, a stable coin. But since then, volumes are back up. And so um, it does seem as though, uh, you know, this speculation may have passed and we've kind of moved on to GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, a temporary uh, period with the whole Wall Street bets, GameStop and hedge funds thing. I think that'll pass. Yeah, I think the biggest... Uh, thing that is highlighted is the centralization and the manipulation and control on society that you know you don't see every day until it's you know really highlighted. So I, I think that's mm-hmm. just kind of at the forefront right now. But it's all kind of circling back to crypto and stuff, and which is good because that's kind of what you want people to do, right? You want people to think about what the better solutions are and how to fix the problems in society and not be so complacent. So hopefully, I mean, tether is something. Going back to that kind of worries me a little bit because of the fact that there is really not mm-hmm. one-to-one backed with, well, it is technically one-to-one backed with the dollar, but there's nothing really behind it. And then we can talk all day about the woes of the U.S. dollar anyway. So, Yeah, and I, I think, um, listen, I think there's always going to be some level of speculation uh, around, you know, how how to prove that the one-to-one exists and, and where's the dollar being stored and, um, you know, is the dollar being stored in a secured way? Is it cold storage? Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I'm sure those questions come up with with USDC as well. Uh, I think, you know, to that point, it'll be really interesting if we do see CBDCs, um, these government-backed digital currencies, uh, if those come out, um, because in a way, you know, that might alleviate some of the, um, you know, I would say uh, concerns that people have with some of the speculation around stable coins. Um, however, we haven't seen, I would say, at least from the Falcon X side, we haven't seen too much concern just yet on the stable coin side. I think um, people re- recognize that there is some level of counterparty risk engaging in cryptocurrency. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> where, where, where do you start um, if, <laughs> if you true. peel back the layers? True, true. I, I think from, most people it's you know that onboarding process when you're getting from dollars to crypto and then you have what's in the middle and tether is usually the first thing they go to Uh, that's the only Mm -hmm. reason why it's so concerning to me i know it's concerning to a lot of people one-to-one with the dollars one way to go i mean in your professional opinion do you think it'd be better to back it to maybe like a basket of assets or to a hard asset or something like that um or to just kind of reinvent it. So I feel like backing it one-to-one with any fiat currency is a little risky. Yeah, that's a good question. So my personal opinion um, is just, if you look back at the history of, of money uh, mm-hmm. and um, the evolution that money had as being a gold-backed currency, and then the fact that that uh, gold backing was broken, uh, and then 
currencies were then backed by the US dollar. Um, I think, you know, either way, if, if you're concerned with inflation, um, then you're not going to be touching a stable coin because it's still backed by uh, the US or whatever dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, if you it, it, even taking like a step back, what's the goal of you trying to uh, get into the cryptocurrency space? Um, if it is to purchase, you know, certain types of assets, um, let's say like crypto using stable coins, uh, then the end goal is, is, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And you can do so by just finding a fiat on an off ramp and not touching the stable coin. If the idea is using the stablecoin to, let's say, as a payments rail to move money around. Uh, you could probably find, um, you know, other uh, other assets um, that you might feel more comfortable with. Uh, there is going to be just the risk of volatility. And so, if you think about, you know, why are people using stablecoins to start, and then where does the hesitation come from? I would say typically people who you know, are there's like Binance USD, um, for example, there's Paxos uh, as well. There's mm-hmm. True USD. There are other options where, if you know, the goal is to move money around, and you're you are very concerned with the counterparty risk with some of these stable coins. Those options exist. Um, but also, I would say, um, typically, if you're also looking to just make uh, payment transactions across um, different borders or worldwide, uh, crypto inherently helps you do that. Um, And so you can just lock in a price of Bitcoin at that time and make a conversion uh, as well. And so I think um, to that point, it's really just taking a step back and understanding like the history of money is that uh, asset backed uh, currencies um, have not worked historically in the past. And at some point, the one to one ratio gets broken um, because it's not enforced in a way that you can prove that the asset exists. You know, even if we were to back, uh, I don't know, a dollar um, with, let's say, a bunch of apples, the apples rot. And at some point, uh, you know, you can't prove that all the apples exist. And so um, it kind of if you think about just the the key components of, of money, um, you know, I think Bitcoin uh, has proven itself and some other currencies um, just to be unhackable, traceable, mm-hmm. like the authenticity is there. Um, you know, it's it's divisible. You can use pieces of a Bitcoin to purchase and send um, and uh, other options may not exist that way. But going back to your point around um, stable coins, I think it really just depends. What's what's the end uh, solution that you're hoping to get? Um, if it's just to sit on stable coins as opposed to the underlying currency, you're you're probably to your point better off just holding the U.S. dollar. Right, right. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't back anything to apples either. That doesn't sound like a very good strategy. <laughs> but <laughs> those apples will go bad quickly. Um, right. <laughs> would you consider yourself a Bitcoiner? Like, do you think that Bitcoin is the new digital gold, or do you have a little bit more of a moderate view on it, or what's what's your stance? Because I know that's pretty varied nowadays. Like, everyone's like one side or the other, and then if you do sit in the middle, then you're, it's kind of an awkward position. <laughs> 
I guess I'm in that awkward position. Um, so I, I've always considered gold, uh, Bitcoin to be digital gold. In my view, I, I've never really, in the same way that you don't go to the store and make your purchases with gold, um, I wouldn't imagine that I would ever be buying my Starbucks coffee with Bitcoin. Um, primarily, one, because the volatility is just insane, and it is a store of value. Um, in my mind, in the same way that I buy uh, purchase ETFs or stocks, um, it's because I'm, I'm using that as a store of value, because I think that value will increase over time. Um, and therefore, you know, for purposes such as 401k and investment, retirement, or purchasing of a house would like to increase uh, my net worth. Um, and so I think that's how people kind of look at it. And so if you you focus at just the end goal, which is, I'm just looking for a store of value that will increase in price, and I'm, you know, the counterparty risk, I'm comfortable with, uh, then I think Bitcoin's a great option. Um, it's been stress tested now for over 10 years. Um, it hasn't been hacked. Uh, and I think the underlying technology has proven itself to be you know, pretty uh, sustainable for um, people to get in. And, and that's why you're seeing these large institutions like MicroStrategy, like Square, uh, mm -hmm. making large treasury plays uh, in this space. Um, However, uh, I do think uh, to your earlier point, you know, there, there needs to be a blockchain that also helps with purchases and transactions. Um, and that, in my mind, is, is definitely Ethereum. I think I'm very excited to see some of the, you know, competing uh, blockchain, uh, blockchains that are coming out. So, as you mentioned, Polkadot, um, Cardano, there's Solana, uh, there's Nier. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, primarily the biggest issue, which is, uh, price and speed. So can transactions happen in a faster way where, you know, if Ethereum gets clogged, what do you do then? Um, and your transactions don't go through and uh, cost. So what's crazy in my mind is that, you know, let's say you pay for a transaction to happen. If the Ethereum network is clogged and your transaction doesn't go through, your gas fee does not get returned to you. And so, um, you know, in, in those ways, I think right now that's definitely an obstacle um, for, you know, larger adoption. And, and we've seen that as far back as CryptoKitties. Uh, and so right. it's it's been a notable problem for a while. Yeah. One of the things I always have highlighted is, you know, why would a big company or institution, let's take Microsoft, for example, want to build an application on Ethereum if you know a couple of days later there's a spike in crypto kitties that's clogging the platform and now you can't use their their app right so i guess there is a huge question it's a good point you bring up on you know being able to do payments on a daily basis um, and transact because you know it's not that great with bitcoin if you're trying to do it in volume and especially in small amounts because the fees go up and it slows mm -hmm. down so not always practical um and I guess for a while, I mean, the solution for Bitcoin has been, you know, like Lightning Network and stuff like that, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. And then, you know, comparing that to what you can build and it's happening in terms of like DeFi and stuff on top of Ethereum. And then there's other platforms that are coming up, um, with Polkadot, Cardano and others out there with solutions, too. So I think it's just a good point you mentioned because it's like we forget sometimes we, we also want to use crypto like daily in terms of like being able to pay for our Starbucks coffee or go to the mall or buy a meal. Um, but it, it may not work that simply in the future. 
Yeah, well, first off, I'm I'm hodling, so I'm definitely not <laughs> spending my my, my Bitcoin on on Starbucks coffee. But <laughs> I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I um I really do think you know you bring up a good point, and that's why you've seen in the past some of these um you know organizations like Microsoft, uh, like Walmart, for example, try to build their own blockchain, um, mm-hmm. which I also don't think is the solution. I think um, to your point, you know, it one thing as an industry. I think most people know, but for newcomers is is that to build great tech, it takes time. Um, and so, you know, with that being said, uh, it Visa and Amex being able to transact thousands of transactions per second uh, around the world on all of their payment providers uh, didn't happen overnight. And it took a lot of time, tech mm-hmm. and really great talent to build that. And so, um, you know, I think in 10 years, uh, we've we've done a lot, uh, but we're definitely not <laughs> we're not done. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've had your finger on the pulse of you know this industry, um, and for quite a while, I guess, and definitely under Falcon X. Um, what's your opinion and thoughts on like the current market? Like, it feels like so much of finance is coming out of you know traditional finance and flowing into crypto in different ways and into decentralized finance. Do you see that like starting to happen, you know, with all these institutions showing in, uh, uh, interest and in wanting to be in the space and all the money flowing and then the public interest? Um, or do you think that is, you know, still pretty constant and has been happening for a while? Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's definitely increased. Uh, and it's, you know, I would say what's different from the ICO boom of, of 2017 2018 was that that was primarily retail driven. And so what we're seeing now is that this wave was really primarily institutional driven. And so as you mentioned, it started off with the micro strategy, you went into Square, uh, we had large hedge funds enter the space using Bitcoin futures. Um, we're having, you know, BlackRock, who has been approved potentially to trade Bitcoin futures in two of their funds. These are massive asset allocators. And I think, you know, having that stamp of approval of this is a store of value that, you know, these massive allocators and their compliance teams feel comfortable with um, is really helping the next retail wave. I think what you're, what you mentioned is, is really spot on. It's, you know, with with COVID and everything that's been exacerbated by it, the stimulus checks, people sitting at home, the Robin Hood traders, um, that has really drawn a lot of attention to uh, almost what I consider like a new wave of wealth, um, where you do have, uh, you know, a persona of retail that is getting investment advice from TikTok videos, from Instagram videos, these, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, something we would laugh at, but it's, it's you know, there really is, you know, these 18 year, there are 18 year olds on Robinhood that are trading options and they don't have Charles Schwab brokerage accounts and they mm-hmm. don't have, you know, a Schwab's broker that's giving them advice on what to trade. And so, you know, perhaps the size of that capital is much smaller, but as we've seen with GameStop and AMC, it could become when coupled together pretty large. And so I think, you know, it's, it's a really interesting um, wave what we're seeing right now. And I hope that it'll lead to, you know, potentially more regulation that's uh, supportive of retail and, and protective of retail trading um, and also help just create more accessibility. Uh, the whole, you know, point of, of 
crypto is to democratize finance. And mm-hmm. I feel like this week, at least leading up to uh, Robinhood shutting down, you, you were really seeing the power uh, in the retail trader uh, and what that might mean. And um, we've definitely seen it in crypto starting a little bit as well. Yeah, the powers that be are definitely going crazy this week. It's it's been insane. <laughs> you know what Falcon X needs to do? You guys need to get a TikTok. <laughs> a TikTok. Yes. <laughs> All yes. right. Bring you, I'll bring you on to run it. <laughs> <laughs> a few more questions before we wrap up. Um, I'm kind of curious about COVID. Did you guys have any setbacks with that? Did that slow you guys down or were you able to kind of skirt some of that? in 2020 with, you know, being able to grow as a company because you guys can probably, you know, work at home like you are right now and kind of avoid some of those pitfalls Mm -hmm. that other brick and mortar companies have had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say, you know, COVID has definitely hit the company um, in terms of the overall culture and, and we did have employees get sick and and family members. And, you know, from that perspective, it, it was difficult as I'm sure it was for, for anyone around the world, not even just, you know, secluded to the U.S. We have a team in India. Um, and so I would say working in health conditions have been just drastically different across the board um, and something that we've been super mindful of, you know, just protecting employees um, wherever they might sit. And so, you know, I think that definitely had its, its an impact. Um, as it relates to crypto, though, I would say, you know, the the ultimate need was so exacerbated by COVID. Um, as I mentioned, you know, with the stimulus checks, what we saw was that a lot of people weren't getting the checks because they were shipped by mail. Um, sometimes the mailing address wasn't correct, the name wasn't correct, so they couldn't process it. And even then, there is sometimes a fee or need of accessibility to a bank, an ATM, to process that check. And so um, there was a large group of people who weren't able to access stimu- the first stimulus check. Um, and, you know, there are talks of a second one coming out, uh, and I don't see much has changed. And so you know, to that to that degree, with crypto, uh, you know, as long as you pass KYC AML, you need just an, an iPhone um, or some cellular device to access these markets because the wallets are stored on your phone um, and the trading is accessible through your phone. And I think, again, going back to the argument of democratization of finance, uh, there were definitely a larger influx of uh, individuals, some of these small brick and mortars that saw the value um, in having access uh, to this market in comparison to, you know, maybe what they would have um, diversified their balance sheet with instead. So, for example, gold, which has mm-hmm. remained roughly flat. Um, and so uh, I would say, you know, even what we've seen this week has has definitely been exacerbated by crypto, by COVID, primarily because, you know, people are sitting at home, um, you know, a lot of things are closed. And so we're asking ourselves really difficult questions in terms of, um, hey, you know, like maybe before when Robinhood had shut down, um, that was fine, but there's more eyes online uh, there's more attention to what's happening. Uh, and, you know, perhaps this might actually lead to change that will benefit, you know, a larger majority of the people who are using these platforms. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's it's been almost a year, if not a year, I think for the U.S. Um, since, you know, the, the country and portions of the country shut down and, um, you know, we've gained uh, a lot of knowledge since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've learned a lot, especially that $600 is not enough like the first, I didn't know what to do with that. Like I got it like in my bank account a couple of days later, once, you know, it started rolling out, I just put it in Bitcoin. Like, what am I going to do with 600 bucks? 
It's not going to pay my rent. It's not going to. You must have made a killing if you kept it in Bitcoin because the price has rallied so much since March. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, since I put the 600 bucks and I got it like a week ago. So I guess it's gone up a little bit. But I mean, it's not like a significant amount of Bitcoin. So I actually, I saw a statistic uh, like on the first like $1,200 stimulus checks that came out last year. If you would have put that in Bitcoin mm -hmm. at the time um, and then you would have sold it like at the end of the year, you would have been up at like, uh, I, I don't know, it'd be like 15, 10, $15,000, something like that. 300%, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I imagine 100%. they're all buying Bitcoin now. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. I mean, again, we'll see what that second stimulus check, if it if it makes its way out of uh, Congress, what it'll look like in terms of, you know, in practice on Robinhood and on some on these exchanges like Coinbase. Yeah, well, they're too busy bailing out the hedge funds. I don't get it. Just give them 600 bucks and they'll be fine, right? So it's a sore topic. <gasps> Anyways, <laughs> what, what's your guys's roadmap look like for 2021 like how do you guys plan to to grow i know you mentioned earlier you got other products and stuff you're working on pushing out but like specifically for like this mm -hmm. year um what are you guys focusing on the most yeah great question so it's going to be growing the team uh i think what is just a testament to the people that work at Falcon X. If you look at just our volumes and how much we've been able to produce and accomplish in the last two years, um, and then compare it to some of our competitors who have very similar volumes, uh, our team of uh, 35 um, is easily 10 to 50 X smaller uh, than the closest competitor. And we're very lean. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the, uh, really exciting pieces for us to do now is is really turn on that growth uh, mechanism and and expand the team and and use you know everything we've learned about being lean and um, you know being profitable to now just expanding that across geographies and across the products I'd mentioned earlier. So um, we're definitely set up for success to do that. Awesome. Well, very excited for Falcon X. It sounds like you guys are going doing some cool stuff and. Um, it's a lovely conversation too. Had a good time. Got into a lot of topics. Yeah, Aya uh, Kentorovich. Is that how you say your last name? You nailed it. <laughs> Kentorovich. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it and taking the time to you know dive into Falcon X and all these other awesome topics on you know stable coins and um, payment methods and um, all all kinds of stuff all the institutional companies coming on board, what's going on with the market, all the crazy stuff, Wall Street bets. Yeah, we covered everything, right? I think so. <laughs> I think so too. Thank you so much for having me. This was really, really a blast. And I appreciate you taking the time, Brandon. Thank you. Of course, of course. Anytime, just let me know if you guys want to come back on in the future. Happy to have you. Stay healthy and stay safe. You as well. Take care. Take care.